excited to be in God's Word together. And really, if you're newer here, we just try to work through the text, just kind of going verse by verse, seeing not what my opinion is or what my thoughts are, but what God's Word has to say. And this morning, talking a little bit about the word religion. I don't know if anybody grew up watching the show Family Feud. Anybody watch this show? The whole idea behind that. It's been on forever. Somebody brought up that it's still, Steve Harvey's still uh, leading that thing. It's basically the idea of two families competing to determine the most popular response to survey questions. Have you guys seen this? And really the, the idea, I wonder if you can participate with me for a second, and maybe this isn't the funnest uh, topic, but what are some words that you think are associated in the general public with the word religion? What comes to mind in the general public when they hear the word religion? Maybe we'll, we'll call out a couple of them. Uh, maybe in the back. Go ahead. Oh, I thought she said Vegas. I wasn't sure. <laughs> okay, bigots. Okay, that's def- probably on the list for sure. What are some other ones? God. There you go. That's a positive. What? What? Fanatic. Rules. War. Sad, right? Go ahead. Liturgy. Go ahead. Closed-minded. Go ahead. Hypocrisy. Cults. Yeah, yeah, so I think we covered a pretty good base of them. I, th- I think the board would be clear at this point. Uh, unfortunately, not always positive descriptors. Webster, listen to Webster's definition of religion. An organized system of beliefs, ceremonies, and rules used to worship a god or a group of gods. Catch some key words there. Organized system, ceremonies, Rules for worship. Basically, a better descriptor might be man's attempt to reach out to God and earn his favor. Man's attempt to reach out to God and earn his favor. You see, it couldn't be, religion couldn't be more opposite from the gospel message, which is kind of ironic, isn't it? Religion couldn't be more opposite from the gospel message because the religion, what it appeals to, it appeals to what? Man's ego. That if I work hard enough, if I strive a little bit more, if I do this, if I go to this ceremony, if I execute this rule or this task, then God will be pleased with me. But what the gospel message says is the opposite. It says, I can't do anything to fix this mess. I can't do anything to fix this mess. That's the difference between the gospel message and religion. And somebody that's actually put to death religion comes to the freeing conclusion that it has nothing to do with me and it has everything to do with the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, period. Jesus Christ plus anything is religion. Religion is the opposite of the gospel message. Well, see, when this actually clicks in somebody's mind, when this actually sinks in, they start to see things differently. They start to act differently. And that's what we're going to see in the text this morning. Let me pray before I dive into this just critical passage of Scripture. Dear God, thank you so much for your word this morning that's so relevant to us because we're so drawn and enamored by the idea of fixing ourselves. 
I thank you that you intervened that we didn't have to. That you intervened doing something that we couldn't do on our own. Thank you so much for Jesus. I pray that you teach us through this text that your word to come to life in our hearts and would shape and influence our worldview, the filter that we see everything through. Pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're going to work through this and some really cool stuff in here. And starting in verse 1, the first thing that I would uh, point out from this is when, you, when, when our religion dies, we begin to be, become more and more aware of those still trying to push religion around us. Those still pushing or peddling religion. Look at what he says here. He says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Whew. All right, let's, let's stop there for a second, give a little bit of explanation, talk through this. First thing that you noticed I thought was <laughs> kind of comical, actually. It starts with, finally, my brothers. You see, pastors get a hard time. This is, this is only halfway through the letter. So this, this preacher, Paul, pastors get a hard time of, of false endings, right? Uh, a lot of times you think a pastor is about to, to land a plane, but he's just lowering, descending, filling up, and lifting off again. So, but that, that's a, a, upon first review here that he thinks that maybe that's the way you see it. I, I like the story of a little boy asking his father in church, what does the pastor mean when he says, finally? To which the father replied, absolutely nothing, son. Absolutely nothing. Well, here, here in this text, I don't think that he's saying finally as if this is his very last point, but more in the sense of finally, it's like, finally, I get to talk about the important stuff, the critical stuff. I'm so excited to share this with you. Finally, I've been itching to talk about this. Then he refers to the fact that he talks about the same things. In other words, Paul's frequently visited exhortations, some things that we need to hear multiple times in order for them to sink in. Anybody fall in that camp? Need to hear some things repeated and again and again and again for them to finally take root. And I love that he describes it. He says, I don't, I don't mind it. And he says, that, and it's safe for you, safe for you. So in other words, a safeguard is for us to have things repeated. A lot of times on church, you're like, hey, pastor, you're not really saying anything I don't already know. That's okay. You need to hear it a lot for it to take root and actually shape the way you live. So he's see, seeing that. And look at the two different things that he points to. Basically, the thing that he said before that and the thing that he's saying after that or what he's making reference to. It's telling them to rejoice in the, in the Lord is one thing, regardless of our circumstances. And to watch out for false teachers. I want to point out how those two things connect. The first thing is an invitation to rejoice consistently regardless of whatever you're going through. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Find your joy in the Lord. Find it in Him solely. He's saying that's what is the key is finding your joy in the Lord. It's kind of a, sometimes like a, a, a trite thing when you're talking to somebody going through a difficult time. Oh, just rejoice in the Lord. But I'll tell you what, listen to, listen to this for a second. When joy, when rejoicing in the Lord, when that's on our lips, 
it's kind of hard to wallow in the pity of our circumstances. When we're constantly focused on God's goodness and faithfulness and provision, it's kind of hard to stir up complaints and frustration. So really, it is the antidote to depression. It is the antidote to sinking into the depths. It is the antidote. Rejoice in the Lord. I was reading this week about in Africa, there's a, a, a type of fruit or a berry. It's called a taste berry. It's an interesting uh, berry they've discovered. It's a taste berry, and it literally impacts your taste buds so that it makes things that are sour for a couple hours takes taste sweet. So you can eat this, this berry. You can look it up. You can Google it yourself, read about it. The, the actual term for it is a Sinsipolum dulcifium. You don't have to look that up. Just look up taste berry. Uh, but that's the, the name of this berry that it literally changes where you can eat a really sour fruit after that and it completely tastes sweet because of that change of your taste buds. I thought that was fascinating. I was thinking about that for a second. I was like, isn't that a little bit of what rejoicing does? When you're constantly celebrating the Lord and His goodness in your life, when you are constantly have your eyes focused on the bigger picture, Man, it's the taste berry. It changes the taste of your circumstances. So he's saying, start with, start with this, start with rejoicing in the Lord. And then he moves from that, he moves from, uh, from that charge to say, to pointing out the, the call to be joyful, to warn us about the, the enemies of joyful living. Look in the second piece. So these are things that he's repeated to them. Three times he uses the word look out kind of creating the sense of urgency, like a kid about to run in the street. Look out, look out, look out. And he lists then three negative names. It's pretty intense here. In fact, I might propose not very politically correct, referring to them as dogs, evildoers, and those who mutilate the flesh. Now, I, I think sometimes in our culture, we're real sensitive about other people's belief systems and i think there's some i mean this is a more of a conversation than we'll be able to have right here but i question sometimes if we don't take the seriousness enough as to what's at stake with somebody that's teaching false truth when someone's eternity is literally on the line all of a sudden he's elevating it like hey man this is watch out look out look out look out it's dangerous you see, when you've broken out of the, the chains of religion, all of a sudden there should be a heightened sensitivity to anything that's going to push you back into those chains, back into any kind of a works-based system. Are you tracking with me? So that's what he's cautioning them about. He points out three different, th three different terms, and really at that time, these were just three distinguishing features of one religious group known as, here's, who's the Bible expert? Who knows what group he's talking about? Judaizers, nice job guys, Judaizers. Judaizers were this group of Jew, Jewish Christians that were trying to make sure that those who were the new Gentile believers were actually uh, living out and, and following the same Jewish customs as they were. So anybody they were saying that wasn't compliant to Jewish customs was not a true Christian. So basically, Jesus plus Jewish customs equals saved. 
So what is that? He's calling them some names. I was like, I, I don't know what to do with that. Not, not, not necessarily great terms. He's calling these, these folks dogs. Never a compliment, really. If somebody calls you a dog, that's not, well, maybe what's up, dog. But, uh, but, 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 typically, but typically, dog is not associated as a, as a good thing, right? Dog's negative. Although in Agora Hills, this is what my dog looks like. My, my, my dog, like, the good life. Well, most places on the planet, most places on the planet, dogs are, like, ribs are showing. They're eating scraps off the street. Anybody been in, like, the DR or some other country where they're like, man, they've got a, a, a rough go at it. But here he's picturing, and that's more of that culture, is he's describing, okay, we can get uh, Bailey off there. Uh, but, but, but he's describing the, this picture of, he's saying, you're, you're dogs, your dogs, why would that have been a relevant term to use for them? You know why? It's because they referred to Gentiles as dogs because they didn't believe in the one true, do- in the one true God. So he's basically flipping a term that, that, that they had often used and saying, no, you're the dogs. You're the dogs because you're trying to impose more on the backs of these new believers evil workers. Typically, working is a, a, a good thing, but they've perverted and twisted it as a means to earn favor with God. The last one, and probably the most relevant, those who mutilate the flesh. Definitely need a little explanation there. One of the biggest ways, or the one of the, the non-compliance ways that the Judaizers demanded of these new believers was something that, we're, we're not going to do any graphs or diagrams here, but they were requiring adult circumcision you're like uh that's a bummer that's a pretty big ask for a new believer right you know what i mean can you imagine our new believers class like you know like <laughs> like seriously this is in, intense what was what was being demanded you can see why paul was getting ticked off and just calling them out in their tracks and saying this is unacceptable this is this is this is not appropriate for us as Christ followers that have been set free from religion, from the, the chains of one more requirement, one more thing to do, and once you've done this, once you've achieved this, once you've done, once we've been set free from that, man, we should have noses that sniff it out and recognize it and call it for the lies that they are, for the lies respectfully that they are. Here's the the, the next point, so that's one of the, the calls, is that we're aware of that, that around us. But the second thing we'll see is that I no longer find my worth and my accomplishments. Look at this, verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He starts with this. He says, we are are the circumcision. See, circumcision at that time was a symbol for a covenant relationship with God. He's saying, we are 
the covenant with God. We are the real deal. We're outward, the outward display now is our lives. Our lives is what's on display, not some, some kind of a ceremonial ritual. I am, you are the true circumcision, the picture of having a covenant relationship with Christ. And look at the things that he points to. He says, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. What three wonderful filters to think through for a moment for somebody that's genuinely in Christ. Think about those for a second. Worship by the Spirit of God. In other words, the Holy Spirit is reigning in that believer's life and they are just drawn to worship, drawn to worship. They look forward to the opportunity to sing of God's greatness. They look forward to the opportunity to speak of all he's done. They look forward to that because there's something inside of them that's changed them from the inside out. All of a sudden, that's what they're compelled by. That's one of the pictures that he points to. Worship by the Spirit of God. Glory in Christ Jesus. The word glory can also be translated boast. Boast in Christ Jesus. Love to talk about Him. In today's world, they would be described as what? A fanatic. Man, they're constantly talking about Jesus Christ and what He's done for them. He's like, yep, that's what I am. I'm the true circumcision. I constantly talk about Jesus Christ. How are we doing with that? Is that a picture or description of ourselves? Depending on Him alone for salvation, put no confidence in the flesh. Put no confidence in the flesh. I like that, that third descriptor saying, I'm not counting on myself for any piece of this salvation equation. I'm not counting on myself for any piece of this salvation equation. Some of us are confused thinking it's a joint effort. Okay, the work that, that Jesus Christ did on the cross plus my compilation of a few good works, ta-da, it's finished. There it is. Like, no, no, that's not how it works. That's silliness on our behalf. When my kids were younger, we used to, uh, well, living back in, in Chicago, we'd get these just big dumps of snow. Snow's this thing where when water freezes, it comes, no, I'm, I'm kidding, but, uh, but we get these big dumps of snow, and our kids would love to go out and build snowmen, and when they're really young, we'd make these, I'd make these big mounds of snow, and then we'd dig tunnels through them, these big uh, snow tunnels through this, and I'd be down freezing on, on elbows and knees just digging out these tunnels, and, and guess what my kids would do when they were real young when I was doing this, when, when, when I'm digging out these tunnels? Absolutely Nothing. They would just stand by and just watch. And here's the funny thing, is when we'd finish this awesome display of, of, of human engineering, we'd finish that off, my, my wife would finally come out and see what we'd been up to. And my kids would say to, to Adrian, hey mom, look what we built. Uh-uh. Uh-uh, not we built. Look what dad built. Dad gets all the glory. Dad gets all the praise here. Not we built. None of this silliness. And isn't that what God must look down and say? Like, are, are, really? Really? I came down, lived the perfect life, 
died as a sacrifice for your sins on a cruel Roman cross, rose again miraculously on the third day, conquering, having victory over death. And we did that? Huh. Tell me more about that. Really? Like, seriously, think about that. That's why he's able to say, man, you, the, the person, the real deal, puts no confidence. They recognize that it has nothing to do with them. That's the death of religion. He lists, though, in case there's a part of the audience that's thinking, well, that's easy for you to say, Paul, because you don't have an impressive resume like I do. Paul's like, uh-uh, I was the king at your game. Whatever you think you had, look at this list he has. He's like, that's a pretty impressive resume. Seven different things. Circumcised on the eighth day. Basically saying he's a, a Jew from birth and not late for surgery. Of, of the people of the people of Israel, pure lineage, perfectly back to Jacob, of the tribe of Benjamin. What was the most highly elevated tribe? Benjamin. They provided the first kings. They were held in really high regard. Hebrew of Hebrews. He's saying that, and you're like, well, that's a little bit confusing. Hebrew of Hebrews. Basically saying he's not a Hellenistic Jew, which is somebody that had departed for a while, kind of adopted the culture, picked up some Greek, and came back and said they were a Jew. He's like, no, that's not me. We've stayed the course all the way with Hebrew language and customs. As to the law, a Pharisee. A Pharisee would have been the most strict and orthodox part of Judaism, the very highest and more, most intense version of it. He's saying, I was that. I was under the best teachers. I was under the, I knew the, the Torah. I knew the Pentateuch, the first five books inside and out. I had all of that knowledge, all of that information. He says, as far as zeal, a persecutor of the church. Like, well, how's that a part of the resume? But that, he was saying, he's like, I was an active defender of the integrity of Judaism. He saw the, the new church as opposing what they stood for. He's like, I was even active against the church. I wasn't just a, a couch-shy Judaizer. I was literally out there as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He's like, I, I was not just talking about this law. I was living it out. So he's going through all of his basis and saying, my religious resume was perfect. My religious resume was perfect. My question for the religious, even present day, even with the most perfect resume, what does Paul conclude? Don't you guys hate the resume process when you're putting this together, kind of outlining your objective, qualifications, formal education, work experience, Find a cute picture with your wife, uh, all the all the this stuff, and you put it together, and you're like, "Oh, brother!" Like talk about bragging and all, all this. I hate that stuff. But but isn't that isn't that what we do, even in a religious sense? And I've been coming to church since I was a kid. I serve in the nursery. I did a wanna, but independent of embracing Christ's work on the cross, means nothing means absolutely nothing. That's the point that he's making here. It's worthless. He, he's saying it's a loss. It's an accounting term, a loss. He says this, was, this is all loss. There's no point. It, it needs to be shredded and gotten rid of because it's not worth anything. It doesn't matter. That's what he's saying. He says when you've given up, when you've been set free from these shackles, when you've been set free from it, you're just like, you know what? 
I realize my religious resume doesn't matter, but praise Jesus for what he did on the cross. Third one, my life shifts focus to the pursuit of knowing Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. It's a beautiful section of scripture. If you think about it for a moment, life is really a process of assessing the worth of things than pursuing things we find worthwhile. Life is the process of assessing the worth, worth of things and then pursuing the things that we find worthwhile. And this is a man that's kind of looked under every single rock. He, he's had it all. It's not like, well, you haven't experienced this. He's like, no, he had the education. He had the power. He had the wealth. He had the prestige. And he's coming to the later years in his life, and he's saying, you know what? All of that is worth zero. Zip. Zilch. He's saying literally, he says, I count everything as loss, showing literal contempt towards all other things. He said, wasted, in other words, I've wasted every day that every single day that I was not pursuing just deepening a relationship with Jesus Christ was really just a waste. It's like I, I see it as contempt. And for this, he, he, he uses some pretty strong language here. It satisfies even my kids' desire for potty talk. Like, or listen to this. He uses the word rubbish. Rubbish is translated for the word dung, excrement, or poop. Basically, he's saying all the things that the world has to offer are poop. Kids, guys, you can giggle a little bit. In comparison to knowing Christ. All of it's, he's, he says it's pointless. It's pointless. I throw it all out. I, I reject it because there's no point to all of these things in comparison to what actually matters. You see, what has to shift in our thinking is our shift has to happen where our pursuit is no longer trying to spend our days trying to earn God's favor, but we spend our days fostering intimacy with God. I was talking to a couple newer believers a couple uh, weekends ago after service, and they were talking about, man, the frustration they have trying to just rid themselves of some different sin patterns in their life and trying to break free of some different habits and some routines. And I think it's something that we all struggle with and all feel with. And at the end of the conversation, we started to realize, we started to, to piece it together, and we're just like, wait a second, do you, do you think maybe... That's the wrong approach to the Christian life. That that's rather getting busy with sin management rather than relationship development. Sin management rather than relationship development. The invitation, what do we always tell people? It's not a religion, it's a relationship, right? That's what Paul's saying. The surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. Knowing this isn't an intellectual thing, this isn't a hypothetical thing, this is a literal, intimate knowledge of Jesus Christ that he invites us into. Is that the pursuit of our Christian life, 
or do we slip right back in to religion, trying to do this, trying to not do that, in the fetal position, I'm, I can just resist a little bit more, I could, or are we saying, man, I just want to pursue getting to know him better, and then let him work out some of that junk, and it's kind of ironic, because that's the way it works, the better you know him, all of a sudden those other desires start to be like, and that's not as cool. That's not as important. That's, uh, that matters less to me now. That's less of a, 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 of a draw. That's what he's pointing to. He says, compared to that, he says, he says compared to that, man, it, they've got nothing on it. Sin management rather than relationship development. This shift is key when religion dies in our life. Last one. Well, finally, uh, with this. I develop a proper understanding of myself apart from Christ. It says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. It's a pretty powerful little section of Scripture there. Did you catch that? Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, doing more stuff, achieving this, accomplishing this, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God, the righteousness from God. There's no delusion of trying to make it on my own. That's foolishness. There's so many that are still in this camp. I like uh, every once in a while they have these um, videos that I see kind of pass through Facebook, and one was kind of a, a funny one. It was a uh, a prank video where this guy, maybe you've seen it before. Here's a, a picture of the guy. There's a, a guy in an outside shower, and he's, he's trying to, to wash his hair, trying to, trying to wash, wash his hair. And the other guy has a bottle of soap. He's above him, unbeknownst to this guy, and just keeps adding a little bit more soap. As soon as the guy starts getting it off, getting it off, rinsing it off, he just adds a little bit more. And this guy washing it, he's like panicking because he cannot get the soap off his head. It's fantastic. But, uh, but uh, cruel, but fantastic. He's panicking because he's just like, oh, it doesn't matter what I do. I just can't get myself clean. I can't get this stuff off of me. That was funny. Uh, maybe look it up later. Uh, but, but, uh, uh, but anyway, I had this picture when I was watching that. I was like, isn't that a picture of mankind and religion? Isn't that a picture of mankind and religion? Oh, I can do this. I can, I can get this clean and uh, follow a few more of these rules, a few more of these laws. I'm going to do this. I can do it, but nope. This keeps getting poured out. Just more sin, more junk. No, sorry, that's you, you inherited that all the way from Adam. You were born with it. Sorry, sucker. It's in you. It's in your pores. You can't get it out of you. You can't fix this on your own. It's kind of comical, too, how many people have this plan, have this plan that at some point they're going to stand before Almighty God and they're going to say, all right, I know I rejected you. I know I rejected the provision of your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross, but did you see my resume? Did you see, did you see this one time I did this? I served here. Did you see the, this $15 check I wrote to Compassion International? You're like, God, the God of the universe? Like, really, is that your plan? Really? 
Is, is that your plan, standing before Almighty God? Saying, I'm gonna, I, I did this, I did that, I accomplished this, I earned this. Really? Death of religion. Death of religion. Death of my attempts. Death of, death of, of my efforts. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying in this, this section here. He says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. That's silly thinking. But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends solely on faith. Faith, putting your trust in the work of Jesus Christ. About every month or two, we have an opportunity for people in our, our service to kind of be pushed a little bit, to be nudged, and have a chance to respond to that invitation. I thought as I was reading this text, I was like, well, there's no other more appropriate time than this to ask that question is what are you putting your hope in? Are you counting on religion, your efforts to appease a perfect God? Is that, is that your game plan? Or are you humbly bending a knee and saying, I am following Paul's lead and embracing what Jesus did on the cross alone. I'm grabbing hold of that. I want to provide the opportunity of just a couple moments in time here where we'll just be quiet and give people a chance to wrestle through. In our church, we maybe do things a little different than some churches. Some churches say, hey, with your, your heads bowed and eyes closed, raise your hand if you want to make the choice to follow Jesus Christ as Savior. We're going to say the opposite. We're going to say with your, your eyes open and heads raised, stand up and say to the folks here, say, I'm in. I'm choosing to no longer put my hope in my efforts. I'm choosing to accept what Jesus did on the cross, and that's my game plan. That's what I'm holding on to. That's what I'm putting my stock in. That's what I'm, I'm betting the farm on. So I'm going to give a moment just while Chad plays for a second here, just to be quiet and give if, you, if you've made that decision, man, you can be praying for somebody in this room that hasn't. Sometimes you think everybody in the room has, but first service, that wasn't the case. There's a gentleman there that said, man, I've, I've been around religion a really long time, but I've, I've never embraced what Jesus did for me on the cross. So we're going to give a few moments of, of quiet and uh, give you a chance to respond. And the one appropriate response, at least the way that we've set it up, is just to verbally say, I'm in, I'm choosing Jesus Christ. That's what I'm, I'm camping in. So I'll be quiet and let you kind of wrestle through that. Yes, and there's probably somebody in this room that right now the, the Spirit's just knocking on that door so loud and just tugging on that heart so hard. I'll give just another couple moments just to, to be quiet and allow you to choose if you're going to respond to this. Wonderful thing is, is that we have all the way until we breathe our last breath to make that decision. But the complicated piece is we don't know when we're going to breathe our last breath. And so this invitation is an awesome gift. If you think about it for a second, why in the world would someone ever say no to that? 
the God of the universe wants relationship with you, who provided the free gift of Jesus Christ that allows for it, why would somebody say, oh, no, thanks? Really? I'm going to count on my own plan. I'm going to count on my own efforts. What? What? Really? Let me just give another moment or two just for someone to choose whether or not they would like to stand and just say, I'm in. I'm choosing to follow him. Buddy, just before I pray. All right. God, thank you so much for this word, this reminder, this safeguard that it's not about religion, it's not about human effort, it's about your righteousness being passed on to us through Jesus Christ. I pray that even for those of us that are Christ followers, that we wouldn't slip back into religiosity where we're trying to do stuff and do this and do that to earn favor. Recognize that we have your full attention. We have your full favor through Jesus Christ. That we get serious like Paul was about dropping everything by the side and wanting to know you more. And I pray that we'd logically follow that through so in the same way we would in a human relationship, talking with you, interacting with you, spending time with you, listening to you, reading the letter you wrote us. God, I pray that we take steps towards that even this week, God, because it makes everything else rubbish in comparison, your word says. Thank you again in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. And that's really what it comes down to. It's a trust issue. What are you trusting in? Are you trusting your own efforts or trusting what God's work on the cross? That's what we're here to celebrate this morning for those of us that have embraced that. It's an awesome truth. It's a wonderful reminder here in this text. Two things just before you go today. A reminder, once a month on the day we do communion, we also have our, our deacons fund, which is just a chance to supply some of the needs for folks in our community that are struggling. So if you want to give to that as you go today, you're welcome to. And before you leave, I wanted to just take one second, if you would all just kind of join together and just praying for this Tuesday. Is that fair? Big day on Tuesday. Let me pray over that. God, we praise you this morning for this chance to celebrate you and what you've done, the fact that you reign on high. And I pray that that would echo everything that happens in this coming week, the fact that you are reigning over all. I pray that we take our responsibility seriously on Tuesday, being out and involved in the election and, and voting, making sure that we're well-educated, that we're aware of platforms, that we're uh, well-informed, that we're spirit-led, that we're uh, actively involved this Tuesday, God. I pray that you would reign over this election. I thank you that all of this falls in, under your control. None of this is outside of it. pray that you'd work in both candidates' uh, lives, God. I pray that you'd draw either or both to you uh, in a saving relationship, one that guides and directs the way that they live. Thank you so much for the power that you have, that your word says that you hold kings in the palm of your hand. God, we pray that you would work in our church uh, this, this Tuesday and that you be glorified in all of this. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's name.
And God's people said, amen. Have a wonderful Sunday.